Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm your co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run, a running enthusiast, influencer, and marathoner, and I love everything about running. As passionate runners, we look to use our knowledge and draw on past experiences to provide you with cutting-edge science and insightful information. We are going to be unpacking the fascinating topic of running with all-stars, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to not only help you improve your running, but also ensure that you experience maximum joy with every step that lies ahead in your journey, wherever that may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you were saying that you believe that elite athletes and social runners and, you know, your ordinary runners aren't actually so different. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? You guys always talk about the love of running. Yes. Okay. I don't think in, in Africa that the elite athletes run for the love of running. The love of running you people talk about doesn't, it doesn't exist. It's a job. I told you that I came from a poor family so when I was in Form 1 I had to drop out then I, I went I went to work in farms in Cape oh. Town but but I couldn't make it to take myself back to school The first time I ran a big marathon, I sat with her and I, I just said to him, understand that you know, this is the, how you get performances, being able to go deep and you know, you're going to feel a lot of pain and you've got to accept it. It's part of it, okay? And she laughed at me and she, she, just, she just said, coach, running, running is not pain. Yeah, this is not <laughs> difficult. Yeah, she, said, she said, you know, working as a young, young lady on, on a farm was, was far harder. We worked so hard that at night time we couldn't sleep at night. We cried in bed, we were in so much pain. So run, running was easy. I never saw a scientist become a good coach. So they, they say, you know, is coaching an art or a science? And we believe it's an art. Mm. All right, guys. Coach Andrew Boyens, Leheng Katala, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate you making the time out of your busy schedules to be here. You know, we, we are super excited to have athletes and coaches of your caliber on our podcast. I think Davey can second that. I'm just very excited to officially meet an elite athlete and an elite coach. Yeah. It's, um, it's a big moment. Yeah. So we're going to be discussing a few different pointers from a coach level, from an athlete level. Thereafter, we're just going to see where this conversation goes and, and just have some fun. Remember, guys, making a runner, this is what we're here for. We're going to be unpacking any topic related to running and how we can improve from a social level right up until a professional level so i want to start with coach andrew tell us a little bit about your coaching philosophy and how you got to where you're at right now in your coaching career guys thank you for having us this morning it's great great to be down here you've asked asked me a couple of questions there. <laughs> loaded question <laughs> first firstly i'd just like, like to say i'm incredibly best very talented hard-working dedicated athletes i don't i don't specifically have a coaching philosophy okay i think i follow the you know, the Italian marathon system or Italian training system, which is used by 90% of all athletes around, around the world. The Italians are the, are the experts and the leaders in, in training. I think I can say one thing, what's had the biggest effect on my career is a, a friend of mine, a guy called Gabriele Nicola. I met him, I met him via our, by the agents our athletes run for Demidon Athletic Pro- Promotions in Torino in Italy. I chatted to him early on and yeah, he was just an incredible guy that uh, invited me to go and spend time with him in E10. 
he set up the first training camps in Kenya and Ethiopia. You know, he arrived with absolutely nothing to set up the first camps there. I spent very interesting time time there with him and when I went there, I wanted to go and find the magical program for my athletes. And when I got there, I realized that I, I knew everything I needed to know about coaching, but what I needed to, to realize is how to work with the athletes, how to balance their training, you know, how to know they're not overdoing it. That's, that's one of the biggest things I learned, yeah. That's fantastic to hear. And I mean, prior to that, what made you decide to, to get into coaching in the first place? Because I'll definitely unpack that whole Kenyan situation. I'll be interested to hear <coughs> much more about that. When I was at school, I was very lucky to have a coach called uh, Richard Turnbull. Richard Turnbull coached Matthews Tomani, who was his greatest athlete, plus he coached William Otolo. If, if you look at his training philosophy in those days, it's exactly the same as what we do today. So Richard was ahead of his time. He, he immigrated to Australia. He's got a biokinetic practice there. He was a biokineticist. Okay. Yeah. And he worked for Val Mines. Later came down to be the sports officer at Maritzburg University. So I learned a lot there. I trained with good athletes there when I was very young. I trained with William Motolo. And after uh, Richard left, okay, I, I helped Willie with his training. So we still use some of the routes today to prepare for the first time he won SA Marathon Champs. That was a special occasion because he beat Zitlele Cinque, so it was all a, a mind game to beat it. And those guys were running uh, 2.8 or 2.10 every year in South Africa. So, um, sorry, Andrew, I just wanted to ask, you're an athlete, now coach. What was your favorite distance? 1,500 when I was a junior, and, okay. then, and then 5,000, and then cross-country running. And I, I, we ran up to half on the road. Okay, so 5,000 PB? 14.43. Unbelievable. 14.43, okay. Wow. So very quick, okay. Well, Nahing, tell Nahing. us about your, your 5,000 Your meter. turn. <laughs> Good afternoon, guys. Uh, my name is Nehang. I belong to Lesotho, currently living in Peter Marisbeck. I'm working with coach Andrew Boynt. Um, I'm running a long distance, but specializing in marathon. So, and when you say specializing in marathon, you mean that you've just recently run the Olympics and you've been at two Commonwealth Games. Yeah. So you're absolutely amazing at marathons. Let's unpack that a bit more whilst we're just on the topic. Which has been your favorite marathon ever to run? I think Cape Town Marathon 2018. 2018, okay. And what yeah. was your time there? 2.33, my first time ever. 2.33? Your first marathon, your first Cape Town marathon. The first time I ran Cape Town Marathon, it was 2017. I ran 2.421. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I came back to run SA Champ. Then I came position five. That is when I met Coach. So, co so Coach saw the talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the time when Coach realized the potential in me because he spoke to me and said, you can run much better. You've got talent, I can see. So we spoke about that and he came to Lesotho. Then 2017, I, I went to Cape Town Marathon. That is when I ran 2.33. So my first marathon was 2.41. Yeah, let me let me jump in there. Yeah, I, I saw her run at the SA Half Marathon Champs and her husband ran there that day. And and sorry, her husband, your husband, Nehang, is also an elite athlete? Absolutely. Yeah, Olympic athlete? Yes. Okay. He's got, in, in one year, he ran 28.30, 61.50, 2.11. 28, 30, 10K, 61. 21 Ks, and what was the marathon? 211. 211. Yeah. So, Nahing, is that what um, you and your husband bond over? Do you, did you guys fall in love with running and then meet through running? or? Yeah, we met through running. Okay. Uh, what are you training for at the moment? Now, I'm focusing on 10 Ks. Okay. But, uh, I'll add 21 kilometers for SA Champs. Okay. So, when's your next race? Upside 10 K. It's on 15th May. 
15th of May, yeah. okay. It's a month and a bit to go. Six weeks. Six weeks. I see Andrew knows exactly. Yeah, Six weeks, 12 hours, couple of seconds. And with your, what is your current 10K PB? 32.18. Sure, yeah, quick. Um, what is um, Taylor's PB? Because Taylor holds the record, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, no. Taylor, Taylor's the national champion. Okay. Taylor's run 32.10. 32.10, okay. Yeah, Nang was second at that race. Okay. Yes, I've just seen a picture of you two at the at that episode. It was a 12K, wasn't it? Was it the no. Cape Town one? No, Nang was second in the, in the 10K. And in the 12K in Cape Town as well. Okay, awesome. Wow, guys. So now, just just sitting here, we know that we're sitting with some with some real talent. Now, we, we started off by saying it, but now, they've really spoken the, the talk yeah the credentials are out there <laughs> They're out there just going back to Andrew's conversation of the, the training camps in Kenya and you know saying that he knew how to coach athletes but he really got to see the more emotional side of how to manage an athlete. I'd like to get into that a little bit more because I think it's very easy to you know, pick up a book, find out what you need to do with your coaching, but managing an athlete is a completely different story. Very interesting. Now, I was in Kenya and there were six marathoners in a group that had been training together and the coach said to me, he says, these guys are all in the same shape. And he says, you know, there's a likelihood that they'll go and run a marathon and two won't finish, two will run incredibly well and two will have a problem in the race where some part of the body will give way. And he said he couldn't tell you which, which who was going to be who. And what it came down to is, is basically said is that some of the guys overdo it in training. Uh, so they end, basically end up leaving the race in training. And that's what we call balance. And the balance is an interesting thing. Balance is, you know, balance between your between your family, balance but your training is balanced. And for working guys that you're balanced in work, okay. You know, many times if, if any of these are out of key for an elite athlete, it shows in the performance. You know, many, many times you know, when the guys coming up close to a race, we, we see athletes reducing the training load and getting a muscle injury. And it's actually possible for this to happen. But what happens is the athlete's far more stressed. There's a lot more muscle tension in the athlete than something goes. You know, he might be worried about his family is going to be away he might have financial worries you know, he's thinking about the race he's looking for he's waiting for his visa to arrive so all of these things compound so we you know, we, re we really take these things into account you know to make sure that that everything is balanced in that way so the athletes can perform so before um, we stepped into the room here just to start the podcast we had a conversation and you were saying that you believe that elite athletes and social runners and you know your ordinary runners aren't actually so different can you elaborate a bit more on that yes yeah I, I, you know what I, I think the social runners run for enjoyment and you, know, you can only have enjoyment when you're running nicely and you're injury free etc and the same thing that you, you have a balanced life that, that you know you're professional in your, in, in your job and you, and you do well in your job you look after your family and you and you spend enough time with your family and at the same time you can enjoy your sport if, mm. if any of those are out of key you're doing it for the wrong reasons sure okay look i think it's important to note that added level of stress from being a professional athlete i mean the hang you can tell us a little bit about that because there's that overhanging need to perform. If you're yeah. not performing, what are you doing? You can call yourself an elite athlete, you can have the credentials, the times, but if you're currently not performing, then the sponsors start calling, you know, it, it, it's a slippery slope to get into. Have you ever felt that type of pressure when, when training or when prepping for a race? Uh, thank you. I think the most important thing as athlete, I think you have to keep consistency. Like from the training, you need to know what to do, what not to do. Every time you're not feeling well, you, you speak to coach, oh, I'm not feeling well today. 
so that coach know exactly what he is working on. I think when it comes to 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 sponsors, it's very very difficult because sometimes you see um, when you got injury, the, spo- the sponsors run away. <laughs> um, but I never had something like that. So I'm new in sponsors. Thank you so much for Adidas. You know, initially when I when I met Neheng, I had an athlete in the suit. Well, I still got the athlete in the suit to Matlokwa and Khabotlani. He's a two oceans winner and he'll be lining up for the two oceans uh, in two weeks' time. But yeah, I think if he runs to his form, he'll, yeah, he'll be a, a big contender. And when I first met Neheng and, and her husband, I, I said to him, I said to him, my philosophy is to, is to run the important races, not to race a lot, okay? You're going to earn far less money, mm. far less money. But the the big money will come on its own when you run the times, and and that was the case. You know, where where there were many races, Nehen and her husband could have could 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 win every weekend. But the, the trick was to you know, to go for the main races, and and by, by achieving the times, uh, both athletes have got support from the Lesotho National Olympic Committee, which does a does a fantastic job, and then. Hing has got, got Olympic Solidarity Scholarship. And uh, what exactly does that scholarship entail? Dollars. Dollars. Yeah. Money sign, okay. Yes, yeah. Right. So the, fun, the funding's there. And, and the Solidarity Scholarships that the Olympics give is, is fantastic. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's world, worldwide. Plus there's, there's allocations for travel, medical, Wow. physios, absolutely everything, yeah. Mm. And then Joseph Neng's husband, he's just signed with Carl Mining Company, which is a big diamond mine in Lesotho, okay? And that's because of his his performances. And then as a as a technical sponsor, you know, we've got Adidas on board that's that's really after the ladies and gents, obviously with fantastic equipment. And we've, we've always used Adidas because, you know, Demodon Athletic Promotion is, they've they got a thing called the Adidas Marathon Project with it, Adidas. And there you've got likes of five marathon majors mm. last year winners. I was actually going to ask yeah. how you got involved with Adidas in the first place, but that makes complete sense. Whilst you're talking about sponsors, okay, so so you guys are affiliated with Adidas, professional coach, professional athlete. Andrew, what do you look for in an athlete if you're going to go and say to Adidas, listen, I- I've found this athlete, I think they have lots of potential, I want to sign them up, or, or is there something that you do, or talk us through that sort of process? You know what, there's, there's an incredible amount of talent in this country. Yeah. We just had the National Junior Championship in Potchestroom, and the, the talent is phenomenal but nothing happens to that talent I, sure. don't, I don't know I don't know where it goes you know the days when South Africa always had far stronger runners than Kenya or Ethiopia and in those days we had an incredibly strong university system technicon system plus the, the mines the police the military everyone had running clubs mm. nowadays we've got these these so-called commercial clubs that that give athletes a small stipend okay? yeah and the athletes made to believe that that he's a professional runner where in most instances they they're not good enough and I just feel that the best years of an athlete's life when he should be making an income are wasted you know okay you know just just running i firmly believe that a lot of the people could still run at the same level and work you know so would you say that there's an abundance of talent and not enough sponsors in south africa to match the talent level there's a lot of our talent being wasted what's your opinion on that there's a lot of talent a lot of the talent goes 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 to america into the college system which is okay. not always good because it's very competitive there and it's it's a points-based system where they athletes are running twice a weekend etc so a lot of the athletes there are not improving so i really don't believe that money's going to make athletes any better yeah and sure athletes that, that's actually got to take responsibility for himself you know, if he's got if, if he's got sh- just got shoes and yeah, some basic nutrition mm. that's that's enough to start but yeah. i also think it's the system the overall system of having something for athletes put in place to be 
highlighted at an early stage in their in their lives or in their career and be able to be nurtured into the athletes that they potentially can be. The potential the athletes got is is clearly seen. You know, after a minimal amount of training, any any athlete, you know, you, you pump the engine, but a fart leg, get a couple of moderate runs, you can see what you've got. Yeah. And, and there, once you've seen what you've got, you, you've got to decide which direction you're moving in, what area is right for the athlete to run. Once you decide to move in that area, you start specializing and then you take the athlete. But after the initial phase, what you see there is there's no miracle that's going to make an athlete out of yeah, something sure. that's not there. For sure. So, Neheng, I want to bring you into the conversation just briefly, telling us a bit about your experience coming from Lesotho as a runner, how did you get into running in the first place? And how did you develop as a runner before you met Coach Andrew? Thank you so much. I started running when I was young. I was, I think I was 12 to 13 years. So I started running at primary level. And did you know right away, even when you were 12, 13? Yeah, did you just fall in love with running from the beginning? No, we ran at, at the primary, at the school, at the school level. Yeah, school okay. level. So we had to run just to run. So I ran 100 meters. Okay. <laughs> we all started there, I think so. Yes, I, sta- I started running 100 meters. Then I beat, I, I beat some of the ladies. So that is when my teacher realized that, oh, okay, Nehen, you can run. Then I started competing at primary, primary schools. So I, I beat all those girls there. Then I, I started training and do some track. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I started moving to, to, to longer distance, which is 800 meters, 1.5 upwards. So. I first went to to Namibia for track and field. Then I ran 1.5. <laughs> they just they just make me run 1.5. But remember, I did run uh, 100 meters, and yes. they just moved me to run 1.5. Then I ran 4:37, if I'm not mistaken. Then uh, I went to Mozambique. I think it was 2007. Then I ran 800 meters. Uh, I came position three. Yes, with the time 2.16, yes. <laughs> I found it amazing how you remember those times. Yeah, I'm just and, <laughs> and it was a long time ago, I can't even remember where. <laughs> then I moved to road races, it was 2009. I ran 5Ks, then I still won some races in 5Ks. In, in then, okay, I moved to, to 10 kilometers. <laughs> I love the so progression from you know <laughs> 100, 200, 400, 800, 1.5, <laughs> that we've known 5, it all now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I I forgot about. I even ran 10,000, but it was later. Uh, yeah, it was later this year. If I remember well, I won some some races in the Sutu, which is high altitude marathon, is well known. Yes. Um, then I I moved to 21 kilometers. I still ran some races in the Sutu. Then I first ran the Uartambo, Uartambo half marathon. Great. I came position six and I ran one, I think it was one sixteen or something. Guys, let me come in there. I like the, you guys always talk about the love of running. Yes. Okay. I don't think in, in Africa that the elite athletes run for the love of running. Really? No, not at all. The love of running you people talk about doesn't, it doesn't exist. It's a job. Yeah, sure. It's a job and it, it, it's to make an income. Okay. The minimum wage in in Lesotho, when I first went there, was was a thousand two hundred rand. It's gone up to about a thousand 
500 rand now. That's a six-day working week. Oh, yeah. Wow. As a as a factory worker or, or, or labourer. So so the option to be a runner is very very lucrative in the way that you could win one race and it would cover two years of salary. In Kenya, when an athlete decides, you know, uh, uh, that's my last race, the shoes are left there, the athlete never runs a step again. Really? Yeah. I think, I mean, that, that's actually blowing my mind a bit because I think, you know, we are speaking from a bit of a point of privilege. Obviously, yes. you know, we love running because we've, we've fallen in love with running, but thinking of it from that aspect is actually something I've never considered just because we love running so much. You know, we can relate to other elite athletes. We look up to, I mean, Nahang, I mean, I look up to you. You know, you're an amazing athlete. It's, it's phenomenal. But it's such an interesting point that you've just made, Andrew. Yeah, and Ken, Kenyan athlete, uh, you see a good athlete is in the prime of his career and he'll just stop running because he feels he's made enough money he can buy some land he can start farming he's, mm. he's built a house he's got a tractor yeah. he's done with running it's not a passion yeah that's no. all they want so so just out of curiosity um hang uh, do you love running i love running oh, yeah. like, <laughs> thank like i love running thank goodness all i can say is that when i grew up i grew up in a, in a poor family if i may say but my my, my family love running especially my dad like I loved running, I loved running, so so I just run like every day when I was in primary. Uh, when I get to high school, like I kept on running. But there was some time, some point where it was very hard for me mm. uh, because I couldn't afford my, my my parents couldn't afford to buy me some shoes. Yeah, more of 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 what athletes can can use in terms of training as you know we need uh, a running attire uh, it was very difficult for me but i kept on running like guys <laughs> if i if i had to say i, I can talk the whole day sure. about my my life uh, it was very hard my father uh, battled with cancer for so many years and he died last year I think it was February, yeah, from cancer. My father was only the source of income. My father had been, been sick for so many years, but we couldn't find really what was mm -hmm. happening. Like, as you know, sometimes when you, you have cancer, some people can't realize it on, on oh, time. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. amazing what yeah. you're telling me. So. I, mean, you're, I mean, I'm sure your father must be so proud of everything that you've achieved. Yeah, yeah, he was proud. I want to just ask, I mean, with that in mind, obviously the Olympics is, if you love running and you're a professional runner, uh, that must be the pinnacle of your, your career, wanting to go to the Olympics, being able to achieve potentially one day an Olympic medal. Obviously, with that and your father passing away towards the beginning of 2021, and with the Olympics being pushed back because of COVID, that was supposed to happen in 2020. I mean, how did that feel for you? That was most difficult time yeah. of my life because there was time when my father was very, very sick. We are seven in my family. Wow. So... <laughs> Do you all run? Yeah, they can run, but they are not interested. Okay. Yeah. Let, let, let me go back when uh, I was in high school. I couldn't, I couldn't go to school like, like any, any other children. Sometimes I had to, to quit some classes. If I may say, like I, I did Form A, we call it Form A in, in the suit. As I told you that I came from a poor family, so when I was in Form 1, I had to drop out. Then I, I, went, I went to work in farms in Cape wow. Town, but, but I couldn't make it to take myself back to school. Have you, have you managed to finish school now? Yes, yes. So, so, so I worked in a farm, then 
I tried to work there just to, to provide for my family mm. because my mom was also looking after my dad. As I said, he was sick. So I worked, I worked in the farm. Then I came back home. I trained, I ran. I went, I went for some races, but it wasn't enough for me. So uh, a lot happened. Let me break in there. I think you know, Nick Nheng's big breakthrough came last year. You know, the, the, the talent was always there. And when we were hoping for to qualify in, in Cape Town, she was ter- terribly sick just by chance. Okay, But the big break, the breakthrough came because Nheng studied okay so when she was studying it was uh, she never had owned a car at that stage so she it was she'd go and study spend time in town come back try and train afterwards etc but the studying was very important to her so she did a diploma in marketing in marketing, marketing yeah. yeah and uh, wow. and so and so the minute we didn't have the studying studying then we had the time to rest okay Every, everything came together yeah. so we really saw things progress from there and then she still hasn't she still hasn't finished with the studying she really wants to get a degree now awesome yeah and, uh, and the, most with all likelihood she'll, she'll start at Potch University next year awesome wow. yeah, Northwest it's an amazing journey what you're yeah. telling us and I mean yes Andrea I see your point of it being very much a business for you know those uh, runners all over Africa wanting to get somewhere but I can see there's a there's a deeper passion lying there you know it's that love for running also a, a need to make it work and i think you've done so much to get to the point of where you're at right now it's extremely inspiring yeah i did i could tell you an, an, a number of stories of each of each athlete yeah. and you know with with uh, with clocks okay who's going to be running two oceans like one one day we were in paris and and we were standing i was trying to find out which two were meant to be on the next thing i looked he was inside the tube and the tube was leaving <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> and, and you know, I've, I've had him as well. I've, I've, he's like his family said, coach. I was so tired, I fell asleep at the boarding gate. The planes left. Yeah. <laughs> then the first time, Nang's husband went to, he went to go and run in Poland, then Berlin half, and he ran in Switzerland. I have a funny number come up on the screen. He says, he says, coach, there's no one here to pick me up. And he's actually at Addison. He's still got, he's still got to go to Paris and then to Poland. <laughs> and at that stage, at that stage, he, he barely spoke English. So, wow. so when I, when I when he came back, I just I just said, no, we've got to sort this out. So what we do is we got a, we got a tutor, and four days a week, you know, he learned learned to speak English, writes incredibly incredibly well. So those those are the big achievements. Those are far far big achievements. Sure. You know, seeing people buy motor cars, build a house, build another house to rent out, those sort of things. Yeah. But it's amazing that it's it's all come through running, mm. uh, and that I think is the the really cool part about it. You know, these guys coming from all types of different backgrounds being thrown into into the European world coming from Africa like you say look at the at, at the same time there's a graveyard that is a hundred times the size of the athletes that have made it yeah, yeah. For sure you know the the saying goes you know if you go to Addis Ethiopia there's the biggest graveyard of athletes that haven't made it you know that's that's the, that's the reality oh, one one in a hundred are making it and I mean through your experiences in Kenya and Ethiopia like you said the first time we, we met and we got talking about it from what we see and what we can are exposed to around you it looks like a pretty cool place to go to but it, it's not quite like that on, on the other end of it there's the, a lot more that mecca. isn't seen yeah no the mecca of racing look look do, do you know what uh, the coach the coaches in in kenya and ethiopia said if the if those athletes were based in america at, at flagstaff etc etc or bold, bold or whatever they'd perform even better yeah you know if, if i tell you good accommodation in in iten you'll have a, a shower that combines as a toilet 
and you, you're basically in a concrete box that the air doesn't come in. The food quality is bad. The roads are not ideal to run on, so it's, it's very tough. Sure. I think there's a, there's a correct mix between you know the environment that you train in. If it's a tough environment, obviously that's going to bring about a tough athlete. But where is that tipping point that you sort of <laughs> you see? I think uh, I think we see a lot of improvements in performance over the last couple of years, and those big improvements come from better quality of life. You know, better recovery, better you know better nutrition etc all those things make make a big difference prolonging careers for sure uh, i was uh, watching what uh, kipchoge um, documentary and obviously kipchoge talks about his upbringing and obviously coming he, i mean he relates to having a a very difficult upbringing and says that a lot of the the athletes that you know are brought through that system uh, that's the difference between kenyan ethiopian athletes and european athletes it's that it's that need for success and it's that um it is those hard hard living environments and all of that i don't know what uh, your opinion is i agree 100 percent you know and, and the, the hunger for success you know the first time Nahang ran a big marathon i sat with her and i, I just said to him understand that you know this is the how you get a performance is being able to go deep and you know you're going to feel a lot of pain and you've got to accept it. it's part of it okay and she laughed at me and she, she just she just said coach running running is not pain yeah, this is not <laughs> difficult yeah, she said she said you know working as a young young lady on on a farm was, was far harder we worked so hard that at night time we couldn't sleep at night we cried in bed we were in so much pain so run, running was easy Unbelievable. But, but Andrew, how do you nurture these relationships with your athletes through these cultural and language barriers that you know are evident as you've shown us? Do you know what? The, look, I'll be honest that uh, every week I have a number of people that ask me to, to coach them and I invariably just I'm busy, I don't have time, etc. But you've got to find someone that you can work with, that, that, that you've got belief in and that's got to do a thing that's got belief in you. And then um, they've got to understand that it's not a quick process. When I first started working with Nehing, we didn't have success initially. Am I right in saying that, Nehing? Yes, gosh. Yeah, but <laughs> but but, but she, no, she that answer was waxed. Yeah. <laughs> same with same with same with her husband. Yeah, he ran like two twenty four marathon, and you know people in the suit laughed at him and said, "Look, look how he's doing now." And then then we had a breakthrough year where you where you ran twenty eight thirty. Unbelievable, 61, yeah. 61.40 half, and, th- and then he qualified for the Olympics, yeah. Wow. Look, I think it's uh, it's unbelievable what you're doing with these athletes, and uh, you, you are a role model to them in a way, as they they clearly trust your processes. And I, I, I would like to get more into into the processes themselves. You know, I, I coach a couple of athletes myself, Davey being one of them. And like you said, yes, coaching... Yeah, yes, coach. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Nahang, we've we, got we, that one. Right? We had some success, didn't we, Davey? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it does go through times where that, that relationship is stressed, you know. You, you feel like you are, as a coach, you know what you're giving to that athlete. You have the process in your head. You, you know to trust your own training them trusting in your training is is another story altogether and does Nehang ever just go off the off the rails and just like she has your program and then she goes and runs a 5k pb <laughs> on like a wednesday morning for no reason no. i've never had an athlete do anything <laughs> like it okay no, so that's no. just me then. it's just you Davey. <laughs> it's just you you know it's, it's very it's very it's very interesting because um gabriel nicoli said to me once he says i never saw a scientist become a good coach so they, they say, you know, is coaching an art or a science? And we believe it's an art. Mm. 
Well, it's it's great because the point that I have <laughs> on here is called the art of running coaching. That is that is what I wanted to get into. And I think, like you said, you've mentioned a few things. The, the I think the balance extremely important. Obviously, knowing exactly what your goals are and being patient within those goals. Like you said, Hank could go and race every second weekend and potentially win a lot of those races. But would she make the same progression in her career path that you see? I think if I think if you if you saw the training that that our athletes do, be it they're training for a 10k up to a marathon or ultra marathon, the training is incredi- incredibly simple, and there's, there's absolutely nothing funny. But it's it's the athlete's interpretation of the training that gives you gives the effect on the body is what we're looking for. Earlier, you mentioned that we we're chatting about comrades in the canal wanting to run uh, under seven hours, and and you and you sort of indicated that uh, we shouldn't be running over 100 k's. What is, what is, in your opinion, is a sweet spot uh, training for, say, a marathon? I, I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> no, look, it, it, it's very simple, okay? If, if you ask any Kenyan athlete what he runs, he'll tell you he runs 220 k's a week. Mm. But there are 204, 205 marathons that run 120 k's a week. Some run up to 170 k's a week. But uh, if, you, if you're training in Kenya, you'll see all the athletes start their watch. You'll barely see an athlete stop his watch. The most common use of a heart rate strap is you know, as a clothesline to hang things on. <laughs> yeah, so. so it's a lot on, based on feel. Nahing's uh, nodding her head. You know, Nahing, you know how many kilometers a week you run? Not really. Not really. No, so it's, yeah, it's I, so I, could, I couldn't tell you how, how many kilometers a week Khad is running. I couldn't tell you how many. I, I could. <laughs> we, um, sorry, so we follow stats. Like, yeah, you have no idea. I mean, stats for me, I think stats for a lot of social runners is big because that's how we sort of measure our performance kilometers run per week you know your pace all of that i mean we how do you how do you add up kilometers run per week strava <laughs> okay because because warm-ups don't count cool downs don't count and jogging in between doesn't count okay why <laughs> because that's not running that's not running no and let me ask you do you believe in 80 20 80 80 easy 20 hard i wouldn't know eh? yeah yeah <laughs> What it's about is, is, that, is that you've got sessions in a week okay, and you need to perform at these sessions and you know, the other training in between is to, to balance these out, you know, be it easy runs, be it moderate runs, be it regeneration runs, mm. etc. So, so what it's about is, is getting enough recovery that you, that you hit the markers and the times you need to in the specific sessions and those, that, that's what gives you the performance at the end of the day. Yeah, I think like Davey mentions, the stats side of it is something that you know a lot of recreational runners utilize as a as a way of keeping up in terms of knowing how they're progressing. But I think it completely negates that feel, which is, is so important. And I'm sure Nehang will, will, will agree with that. It's being able to feel your training and know, like you're saying, her pacer at that at that marathon knew exactly he was going under 3:30. Didn't need a watch. He could just feel the pace. He knows yeah. his body. And I think there's a massive element to running that, you know, we're not getting exposed to at all because we're so hard up about, okay, well, we've got to do this session at five minutes a K and this is going to be four minutes a K. But that's exactly what, what we say. What you do is when you've got a training session, you look at the conditions, the terrain you're running on, and then you take the body's internal load and you take all this into account and you work out what, what you want to do. Getting closer to a race, the watch doesn't tell you, tell you that you're getting to shape. You know, would you, it's a feeling that you've got to have. It's a feeling that you've got this extra energy that you're looking after the energy that you've got for, got for race day. Wow. And I just want to bring it back to Nahen quickly. Um, 
we've been talking about how athletes trusting their coaches is such an important element of the whole athlete and coach uh, relationship. What was sort of the turning point with you feeling like Andrew was the coach for you? Uh, I know you had that performance and, you know, he told you you can, you can do so much better than that. But at what point did you realize, okay, this is going to be the guy that's going to help me get to that point? Thank you. I think the time I ran 233, that, that was the time. Uh, like moving from 241 to, mm. to 233, that was very, very amazing performance. So then I decided, oh, okay, okay, I can do it. I can do this. I can run. This is my time to, to, to listen to coach, to focus, not running every race I want. I wanted to run every race. Like, mm-hmm. coach, so can I. I run? <laughs> okay, coach, every, every time I'm like, oh, coach, can I run this race? And coach said, no, no, no. <laughs> I hope you're learning something here. Debbie. I'm learning. I'm just learning that all coaches are the same because <laughs> it's like I'm looking for a coach who's just going to give me a green light for whatever I want to do. And that's why I'm not an elite, elite athlete. <laughs> or maybe you can run a 2:33 marathon and then we can talk. I'm trying. The hang that 2:33 is not your PB. No, 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 no. What is your PB? 2:28:06. 2:28:06. When was that? Last year. Amazing. Um, Hing, I just want to ask, in terms of supplementation, what does your supplement plan look like during a marathon like that? Actually, I'm using CC gel. Yeah, science and sport. Um, oh, you're using yeah. the isotonic gels. Is it the isotonic gels? So it's like longer ones? No. No. The, which ones? <laughs> or is that a secret? Can we, not, can we, 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 can't, we can't know that one. We'll take it off air. Yeah. No, 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 no. no it's fine. I, I, I don't know if the product is here, but uh, we, yeah, we just use one of, one of the products of just maltodextrin, yeah. Yeah. I okay. actually, I, I do say to Davey, I enjoy that science and sport all the time. It's, it's hard to actually get our hands on it up here. This can usually stock but, some, but... But, but yeah, to, to be dead honest, the, the race day nutrition that has a very small part to play. Yeah, okay. You know, so leading up to it then, Heng, what's your, um, what's your favorite, I mean, not your favorite, but a typical day look for you, look like for you when you're following an eating plan? Do you follow a, a specific uh, meal plan? Yes, I, I did. The first time I came here in January, I did. I was on diet. On diet? So, yeah. <laughs> but it's, 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 very, it's very tough to follow the diet, like eat well every day yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, did, yeah when, when we say diet we, we, we're saying about getting in the right yeah. in the getting in the right foods yeah right. but but you know what at least don't you know, at least just eat generally a high all, well all, all your endurance athletes in the running world eat a very high carbohydrate diet so mm-hmm. what we're looking at is that you've got enough enough fuel to fuel the body to do the workouts for sure mm-hmm. yeah and then uh, and then the, the athletes just taking additional carbs on on the day no 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 additional carbs the day before the race to, to maximize the carb stores then they will in the morning what they'll do is they'll just top up the carb stores you know, it's, they'll eat a banana and two slices of bread for a half marathon four slices of white mm. bread for a marathon is it right now? yes gosh. yeah and then and then the hour beforehand no 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 fluids and then it's two squirts or three squirts on a mm. table out of the bottle that's it so i think a lot of social runners you know we make eating a huge thing it's, it's a massive thing for us because obviously we're looking left looking right where can we find improvements how are we going to get that you know better performance so we over overcomplicate it especially you know race 
day in nutrition. Uh, that is something that I think a lot of social runners, you know, really uh, zone in on. But from what I'm hearing, it's it's definitely not going to make or break the performance. No, no. I think all money, the money spent on on supplements and all these things, if that same money was just spent on better quality food, you'd be far better off. Really? Yeah. And talking about that food, Nahing, what, what what is it that you enjoy? What's eating? your What's your favorite meal? Pizza, <laughs> burger. Say the day be, the day before the day before a marathon. What are you going to be eating? It can be chicken, rice before the race. I think uh, every time before the race, I I had to watch carefully what I eat so that I don't have runny stomach yes. or whatever so, I can. So um, you don't have a curry before you run? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it depends what, you, what you're going for. If you run a marathon, like you, yeah. you must be strict. I think your stomach uh, is a lot more susceptible to issues over, <laughs> over two and a half hour than... Yeah, you know what, if the guys understand how, you know, how everything worked, you know, basically what happens is that to have gastro stress is, is, is basically that the athletes is taking too much, too much carbohydrate and gel or drink, etc., and that sits in your stomach. Mm. And once it's sitting in your stomach, the, the stomach doesn't absorb because the stomach says, I'm too full, that's when you run out of carbohydrates. So, so you need to do the, do the simple calculations of what the body can absorb. An athlete that weighs 50 kgs, an athlete that weighs 70 kgs or, or 90 kgs, both athletes have a stomach emptying rate that's exactly the same. And so, so what you can do is you can, you, you can train the stomach to be able to absorb more carbohydrate and so you're basically force feeding the stomach in training. Yeah, but I've heard of that, that term, training your stomach. 100%. So elaborate a bit on that. What it's about is to see the as high a concentration of carbohydrate the athlete can take. And, uh, you know, in marathons, you, there's a table every every 5Ks. So you're going for your, you, you, you have a bottle every 5Ks. So in training, you, you need to mimic that. Okay. And I mean, in training with that, then, are you mimicking the eating on the longer runs or are you also mimicking it on the interval sessions where obviously the athlete is running at their marathon pace it's a lot harder to eat at, at three minutes session. 20 than it is at eating at four minutes okay uh, no we do all all training in a fasted state okay yeah. interesting everything yes you know, I, i've been lied to then i wake up and i now have to eat and no 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 all, all all athletes in, in in kenya you know train early in the morning at you know at five five o'clock they awake yeah and they would have just had water. Gosh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, don't, um, I also personally don't eat anything before training. The only time I'll eat something is before I race there. Then I'll right. make sure I'm up two hours earlier and I'm two getting something hours, in before. Yeah. Andrew, what's your <laughs> opinion hours. on uh, banting? I've never heard of it. Okay, great. <laughs> so uh, a, a higher, higher fat diets in athletes, athletes that want to not follow the carbohydrate route. Have you seen anything like that in Have your... Have you never heard of banting? No, I've heard, I've heard of it, but... <laughs> there but, you go. But, uh, <laughs> But no, no, athlete requires carbs, high carbohydrate, yeah, and yeah. then and then obviously going into the race low low fiber in the diet. Yeah, okay. and I just want to take it back to Nahing and that and that two twenty eight. That two twenty eight was your qualifier for the Tokyo for Olympics. Yes. So now you've been to Tokyo. You ran in the Olympic marathon. Yes. How was that experience on your side? And then also, Andrea, I want to see your experience of it. Was that your first Olympics? Correct. So Nahing. Yes, that. That was my first uh, Olympics also. I did enjoy it. It was very, very nice. That was amazing. It was very, very hot on the race day. You got no idea how hot it was. Like, we had to run on ice on us. Mm. Wow. Because uh, it, it wasn't yeah. in Tokyo. It was far from Tokyo, hey? Yeah, it was Sapporo. in Sapporo. It was very hot. You got to run clever race so that you 
got to the finish, otherwise you'll be dead on the way. I, I saw lots of people putting ass down their pants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, look, um, you know, I think just just to get there was was when he was winning the race because the suit had had incredibly bad weather, which was down to my, minus eight, eight degrees. The athletes needed to get to get uh, vaccinated. They were taken to South Africa at four o'clock in one morning, arrived home twelve o'clock at night. Uh, Nang, we couldn't find Nang. So in the afternoon, we sent the doctor to go and look for it. She was still lying in bed after the vaccination, and yeah, so he went, went on antibiotics twice. Wow. She, was, she was sick twice before Tokyo and still sick on the on the plane. And from from my side, we just had the looting the looting yeah. KZN and and you know after that uh, just five days to go. So I locked myself away. Now I went into self isolation because I needed two negative COVID tests. So thank goodness I got I got those. those and You're then, clear. Yeah, and then then it was also another long story to get there. Long long flights via Singapore. We got to Tokyo in the early hours of the morning. But thank goodness we had ten days there before the race and. Moving to Sapporo, we had to, we had enough time to actually do some training and reactivation of the body there. But the heat was uh, was incre- incredibly hot. But it worked out uh, in a fueling strategy that put that worked. So, what the fueling strategy was to to have a far di- a diluted carbohydrate drink. So you, so you get in you get enough More liquid. Water, yeah. So you get enough liquid in, and, and it, it was fine. The thing was passed by three athletes on the last K. But I mean, the, I really believe things on a on an upward trend now. You know, you're mm-hmm. running far faster over 10k, and you know everything's in the right direction. So we're going to see some big performances. You know. But let's just hope everything opens properly because road running is still in a very bad state at the moment. I think in terms of with regards to that point in particular, I would hope to see that you know we are going in the right direction all the international marathons starting to open up especially i mean here in south africa we're certainly getting a lot more races Uh, i know a lot of races are limiting their entries but i don't think they're actually limiting entries i think they're they're saying there's only two thousand entries but you get there on there there's like four thousand people lining up yeah the biggest thing from from an elite perspective is you have the what we call the label races so these are world athletics recognizes races where the athletes score big points etc and over 50 percent of all those races are in China and, wow. and China is the stepping stone for all athletes to you know a lot of your major winners would have run their first couple of races in China there's good money there and the whole of China is closed at the moment so the call it the budget or the, the money in, in the sport in the elite sport at the moment is, is, is about 30% of what there was prior to COVID unbelievable yeah and I mean now taking into account this this scholarship this Olympic scholarship that you're talking about obviously the 2024 Olympics is that a big goal for you guys as a team training towards in terms of that marathon trying to beat that 233 that you achieved in in tokyo yes most definitely yeah. most definitely yeah and then things what decides and what time she'd like to run in the next race and we're working towards it that's brilliant andrew there's been quite a few people that have asked us to ask you this question if you had one tip for a you know up and well, not even up and coming but social runner one pro tip to follow what would it be every morning when each of my athletes wake up and they and they go out to run. They drink 250 mils of water and then they do what we call a pre-run. Okay. They they run for 10 minutes at an incredibly slow slow pace. Then how many how many k's you cover in the first 10 minutes? One point mm, something. Yeah, one point one, eight. That's going fast. So, so that's like six seven minutes a k kind of. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. so they, they do 10 minutes of easy of really easy running. Just let the blood throw through the body. Let the Ligaments, tendons warm up, and then they they will they will start their normal run. Okay. That that is the 
biggest thing you can do for injury prevention. So water and then that really slow engagement run. 100%. I'm going to start and, doing that. And just off of that injury prevention, I mean, how do you sit with in terms of the strength training element and the cross training element to running? What you say is the, the first phase of training is immediately after your last race. So immediately after a race is complete rest for 10 to 14 days and you assess that the athlete is, is fine after that to, to start training and then immediately what you do is you do 10 days of easy running then, then we start the strength training. Yeah, when the body is at its absolute best it's actually at its weakest as well. Really? Yeah. So you know the, the, the body's basically on the limit. Okay. So, so then what will happen is we'll, we'll do strength training, training three times a week. So strength can be circuit training, in the gym, hill, hill running, etc. That's, that's strength training and that will last for four, four to six weeks. And then after that period, the, you know, the athletes don't do the tour. Really? So then they just focus on, on the running? You know, you, you, can have, you can have some mobility work mm. and some ex- exercises, etc. But you know, the, the strength work will take away from the quality re- required in the specific workouts. I'm looking at Nick over here because I, I do um, strength training with Nick twice a week at the moment and that's very interesting because it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, I would much rather just uh, focus on my running when I'm training for something. So yeah, that's very interesting to hear. Definitely something I'm going to take up He's with you. He's going to take it up with me off of, off of there. <laughs> but I think there's, there's a good level of balance that you need. And you know, with Davy in particular, there are things that, you know, strength training can be many things. As you mentioned, it can be mobility, it can be hill work, it can be a whole bunch of array. I think a lot of it comes down to coordination as well. And you know, if you look at an athlete like Nehang, a world beating athlete, she's clearly got the right running form. She's clearly got the right coordination as a runner to be able to sustain. I know where you're going with this. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas if, you know, you look at someone like Davy and he can hold a, a good pace for 5K, 10Ks, you look at him at the end of a marathon and it's a different story. So I think there's a there's a big element of muscle memory there that, you know, the endurance type of strength training can do for uh, a, a lower level athlete. But yeah, it's interesting that that's... that's Low, what, lower level? Well, a run, step, run a 228 <laughs> marathon and then we can speak. Yeah, I think what Nick's saying is um, I still have a lot, I mean, is it a big difference between elite and then, you know, your everyday runner. So I think, yeah, I, my coordination isn't there. I have extremely weak hamstrings, glutes. Like I'm not, I'm not strong. So in order to get stronger and become a, a stronger athlete, I do need to, you know, continuously work on that strength training. Obviously, once that strength is there, then maybe it's a different story. And maybe we can tone it down a little bit. Yeah, but it's also, it's also the, to, to know when is the right time to do the strength training. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we'll often do, can do hills, okay, and we do, we'll do hills the afternoon before the speed work. Yeah, okay. so, so we activate into, into the speed work. Okay. You know, so you keep it clo- very close together, so you've got rest days afterwards, and then the, the, you know, the, the work with the bikinet, mm. the bikinetic is, is, is more mobility work. Uh, activation work. Act- activation work, yeah. And Nahang, what is your favorite session? If you had to choose a session, a hill repeat. Fartlek. Fatlek. You love it, eh? I love it. Why? <laughs> I don't know, but I just love it. I love Fatlek. doesn't matter what kind of Fatlek we're doing, whatever Fatlek. Yeah. yeah, we, you know, the, the terminology, the terminology we use, you know, Fatlek is any, anything, you know, that's, you know, it can be short Fatlek, long Fatlek, and mm-hmm. long Fatlek can be controlled Fatlek, where it's a kilometer on, kilometer off, 1K, 5K, by 4, 24Ks, classic marathon stuff, so... 
you know, long fart leaks mm. are always done on the road, that sort of thing. So for someone listening to this podcast who has no idea what fart leak means, can you um, give us like the, the backstory behind it? Where did that name come from? Because I mean, even me, I'm, I'm like, I've just adopted it. I'm like, yeah, okay, it is what it is. But why fart leak? Fart leak is very simple. It's you, you've, got a, you've got a volume, you know, mm-hmm. you know, how far you want to run and the volume is time-based, etc. Then you've got, you've, got a, you've got a distance and then you've got a, a recovery. It can be at any different paces. So yeah, the, the initial fart leak was a Swedish word for, for speed play and the Swedes did it very, they increased their performances to an incredible way. So I don't really believe it's done. It's done like it was initially done because initially the, the way the Swedes did it, it was bound so far here, yeah, run to that tree, walk a bit, do this, etc. So now the fartlek is, is is basically very controlled fartlek. Okay. And the, and the fartlek is, is staple in Kenya. I'm not gonna lie, I always thought it was Afrikaans. No, Swedish. <laughs> it sounds Afrikaans. <laughs> and off of that, Andrew, your sessions, do you do you work on time based or kilometer based or a mixture of those? Everything's effort-based. Yeah, we, we, we talk of we talk of regeneration runs. We talk of easy runs. We talk of moderate runs. We talk of fast, moderate, etc. And that's all to do with internal load of the body. And then, um, yeah, it, it's it's most it's mostly time-based. And then, yeah, sometimes I will use kilometer basis if I've got men and women together. And if, if you've got different levels of athletes, because everyone's got to run 42 k's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't help if you say if you say to you know, Dave, you go and run 70 minutes, and sure. you go and run 70 minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to so, be a bit of a gap. And that way, kilometer base is, is better, but it all boils down to the same thing. And with Nehang, I mean, have you, how long have you been training in Peter Maritzburg for? And, cool. and why Peter Maritzburg, coach? Uh, altitude. <laughs> altitude, eh? No, it's, it's not, not really. It's, it's not, not high not enough. Not at altitude, but, but if, you go and, if you go and look carefully at, at altitude and at sea level, you can create the same performances if you are at altitude or at sea level. Really? Yes. So the big thing was altitude. You can't work as hard there. At sea level, you can work far harder. Yeah, because you, because your body recovers recovers a lot better. Okay. So you're saying then, if we want to mimic altitude training, we just train harder at sea level, or you can train harder at sea level. If you, if you went to altitude now and you start training, you know, you you, yeah. you just wouldn't be able to do as much because you need far more recovery. And I mean, growing up in Lesotho, that altitude, do you, do you feel like that's given you an upper hand when when you go to a sea level race? Yes, it's much easier here. So in the city, it's very hard. You ran very up hard. the hills, down the hills, yeah, up I, the I, hills. Like yeah, I think it's the, crazy. I think the reason for for Nehang spending a period of time here was you know, to be able to train with with other athletes and uh, you know just to have just to just to we decided was to spend a, a block of time to to actually you know learn to interpret training correctly, okay, and to be able to take that information back home. Brilliant, coach. Yes. I'm now an athlete who's wanting to improve and I'm not too sure on how to go about do it, uh, doing it. I know you've spoken a little bit about systems and how you would have a sort of different approach based on the athletes themselves, uh, their background, but what, what's, what's the special recipe? It, uh, the, I would say for a social runner, there are two ways to go about it, okay? Nowadays, there's, there's so much inf- information available, there's so much to read, and uh, I think the trick is to, to read a lot and to listen a lot and then to, to work something out from there. Now, if you're trying to do a copy and paste and fit too much in, it's not going to work. So educate yourself and, and try and understand what you're trying to achieve with the training and not, not copy the training. And some people find that enjoyable to sort of work out their own training, do their own things, see how they progress, etc. The next thing is, is I'd, I'd say it's always good to find find a coach, 
and a coach that, that trains a number of athletes, uh, or, uh, a number of social athletes, and and just to to ask the coach about his training, you know, ask him, you know, what what he sees and what he recommends, and you know how he works with the number of hours you've got available, and then just look at the look at the coach and chat to a couple of the athletes he's got, and you know, see if it's going to. You know, fit. You know, does, does he have a group with you? Happy? Do they run at the right times? You know, are they mates of yours? That sort of thing. So you don't have to be an elite to have a coach. No, no, you don't. But uh, but I'd like to I'd like to think the you know the coach is just you know there for motivation and to give you some guidance. For sure, I think I think that's a key element when it comes to coaching. It's the motivational side of it. The athletes, you know, he they know that they can trust your process, and it's always easier for an athlete to conceptualize what they need to do when they know there's someone else there watching them and making sure that they're doing it correctly and there's a reason behind it all. Look, I, th- I think it's always the case, uh, it's very easy to coach but the, the trick comes in what what to do when something goes wrong. Your athlete gets get, picks up a niggle, someone goes down with flu, you know, so a, a good coach is un- understanding how to get this athlete back to where he was, how long to rest for, etc. That's it, that, that's the that's the most difficult thing, you know. I've had I've learned over the years of I've had uh, you know I've had athletes that have, had, have been injured and have had some some large appearance fees for races, etc. We've had we've had very short periods of time to get an athlete ready for an event. Okay, and you that that's how you actually learn. An example was Nahang being incredibly sick before Tokyo. You had to, you had to go. You wanted to run well, so you, you, you each time you learn from those you know, situations, or you've had previous situations where you've had limited time to prepare an athlete, and and you've had to ask for advice, see what works. So, so we know those things. So that can we know how to, how to restart training, how to get an athlete into shape in a short short time. The biggest thing is we believe, as you know, I believe as a coach, if I've got two weeks before an event, it's a massive amount of time. We can change the athlete's form in that time. Wow, and I mean, how if you if you don't mind me asking, how can you change an athlete's form in in just two weeks of training leading up to a marathon? I mean, taking into account the tapering process, how, how do you even go about tapering? We only hear the, the word tapering with with uh, social runners. Okay, it's, 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 we never heard the term. It's good to know. Yeah, very good. I've never heard the term uh, taper amongst amongst elites. Uh, amongst elites, yeah. So you know, you you just have, you might have a decrease in volume last work at a certain date but you you, you you still need to the body still needs to keep taking along yeah you, you might you, you might do fast workouts but not produce too much lactate etc but yeah it's a uh, yeah, there's, there's different ways of it but you know how how you do certain sessions what type of work the athlete requires you know at what intensities you know that that's how you do it brilliant brilliant Davey? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to take it all in, to be entirely no. honest. I think Davy's world has turned upside down. I think he came in here knowing mm-hmm. what he was doing and leaves here I'm, feeling... I'm puzzled. I'm he's going to have to listen to this a few times to, to get to the to the heart of it. Guys, listen here. The, I'm, I'm learning every day and, and, uh, and I'm consciously wanting to learn, okay? I speak to I speak to coaches on a regular basis. I, I sit every 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 week. I'm with Willie Motolo on the side of the track. I talk a couple of times to to Hendrik Ramala in uh, out of Zoo Lake. I speak every day to Chris Brewer in Cape Town. 
I, I speak once or twice a week to Gabriel and Nicola in oh. E10 in Kenya. And, you know, we all share ideas and we all, we all, we all keep on learning. So it's a constant uh, evolving situation, how to manage these athletes. Yes, I'll take an example, okay. We've, we've seen the half marathon record go from just under 59 to 57. Okay? Yeah. That, that, that is because of, of, of a new, they, they found something different in training. Okay, they've been able, we've, now we're able to get athletes to run, run with a heart rate associated with the 10K for 21Ks. That's just, just an example. Sure. And I mean, yeah, 20K, for those of you that are listening, uh, there's, a, there's a big difference between running hard for 21Ks and running hard for 10Ks. Hey, mm-hmm. Nahang. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and interestingly enough, that, that came about uh, you know, during, uh, during lockdown in, in the 10 where the athletes weren't allowed access to the track, so they, were, they had to use other fartlek sessions, okay? They were using two fartlek sessions a week, and all of a sudden they found jeepers. So we're seeing something different in the athletes doing different work. Nahang, on a, on a race, what does your heart rate get up to? Uh, on a big 10k effort do you know i mean i, I believe they use uh, heart rate straps for for washing lines or <laughs> correct yeah. it, do you follow your heart rate i, I mean any idea yes I, I would like to say no i've got to, <laughs> I, i've got i've got to ask a couple of times for the watches to be downloaded oh really yes it's not it's not a common thing that happens no it's a it's a it's a social runner thing we love watching our heart rate eh? oh well we learn something new every day davy yeah <laughs> well guys thank you so much again for for coming through we've honestly we've learned a hell of a lot sitting here across from you hang it's been an absolute pleasure getting to meet you and knowing your journey uh I have no doubt that you that you're going to achieve the things that you set yourself out to achieve. You've done already such incredible things, but it sounds like you've got the the right the right man for the job next to you. So we really look forward to to following you and hoping for something good come Tokyo. I mean, come Paris, Paris. in in 2024. And Andrew, just thank you. Yes, guys, absolute pleasure to be here. And the the biggest thing to all the runners out there is that there's no sport without you guys. And yeah. and, uh, and all the elite athletes, they know that. And you know, you know, I look at someone like Nahang, Kadastain, Ilya Kachogi. Okay, these people are so accessible to everyone. You know, the sure. and it's for the reason being that they understand that what they earn is is by having other runners out there. So mm. it's as it's as simple as that. Yeah, and they they are role models for for runners, and it's always it's always one of those things. Runners can't conceptualize how fast these guys are. It's, yeah. It's actually mind-blowing and it's always on on different levels you know for a runner that runs six minutes a k someone who runs five minutes a k feels like out of out of proportion like for us someone that runs like you is just like wow mind-blowing listen yeah i i think think you guys need to get out of the studio we need to take you to (laughs) suit you sometime yes we're gonna we're gonna be put through the pain but we definitely will come it's very tough there okay and, but but it's, it's fantastic. It's, to, to me, it's, it's some of the best times I have when I, when I can get, get away there for a week or two weeks. And the minute, I pass the, the minute I've crossed the border, I'm just in another world. And, mm. and it's just, I, I feel the peace there, the tranquility there. I, and in the summertime, the air is, you know, it's hot during the day, but the air is so crisp, so crisp and fresh in the morning. And mm. you know, the sun sets at night time. We, 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 we're looking for our, we're waiting for our invite. Okay. Super. Thank you so much for being our first official guest on Making a Runner. We really do appreciate it. I think it's been so special having an a athlete, Nahang, and a coach, just like Nick, yeah. a coach, myself, social athlete. Um, we really do appreciate it, and it has been, it has been mind-blowing. I'm a bit perplexed. It's going to take me a while to um, figure all of this out. 
But um, that's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> that's eh? what it's all about. We, eh? we learn every day how to make better runners, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.